0: Hey everybody and welcome to Animates. I'm Paige
1: and I'm Chris
0: and today we are going to be discussing Steven Universe
1: the movie. Thank you for bearing with us. We took our summer vacation. We didn't plan that. That's what I'm calling it. And I've (laughs) since learned that many podcasts do take some kind of summer vacation. So we deserve it too.
0: Yeah, we're allowed.
1: <laughs> yes, this thing that we do for no money and for... <laughs> well,
0: for uh, for a modicum of money, for no profit.
1: <laughs> yes, for no profit. That, okay, that, except for the memories that we make along the way. That's our yeah, profit. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's our profit. <laughs> um, so we wrapped up a few months ago the main body of Steven Universe. And in between the brief successor series, Steven Universe Future, and the original Steven Universe series, there is a feature-length made-for-TV movie called, very simply, Steven Universe the Movie. And that is what we're going to be discussing today. Uh, Go ahead, Chris.
1: It is (laughs) essentially like they took... It is what it's 90 minutes long basically. So they hmm. we know it's 120 minutes. Wait, no,
0: no, Sorry. it's 90 minutes. Yeah, yeah it's, it's 90 minutes. It's not two hours, <laughs> it's not
1: two hours long. It is 90 minutes long. So it's kind of like they took nine episodes and threw them together into a cohesive unit with slightly more budget than normal. Not a ton, mm-hmm. M- most of that budget went to writing musical numbers. I have exactly. to assume. But because they... the
0: movie, it is a true musical. Even universe as a show, I would not call it a musical. I would call it an animated program with frequent musical elements uh, in, in, in the same way that kind of Bob's Burgers has become over time. And whereas this movie is, is truly a musical.
1: Which, as a side note, I was rewatching Bob's Burgers, and I realized that that show like has a song every episode now.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Like they really. Which is
0: went... fine. I don't mind. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It just, I, I, you know, it kind of started off with a song every five episodes or so, and now it's just like a big thing that they do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, uh...
1: <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got this ninety minute musical that um, was still so it's essentially made by the same people. I mean, Rebecca Sugar directed it. You know, she's got her name right there on the front on a beautiful storybook directed by Rebecca Sugar. Uh, I don't know if she wrote it, though. what is what what do we say?
0: Um, um oh, there's like a whole list of who it was written by. A bunch of people, like so many people, including Rebecca Sugar, like a significant amount of the writing staff from the series is credited as a writer for the movie. Um, but I think uh, maybe a noticeable absence is um, his name is escaping me right now. The creative director from the series. I cannot remember his name for the life of me right now. Hang on just one second.
1: It's been very long.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to find it. It's very difficult for some reason. Ian Jones Cordy. There you go. He is not listed as a writer, which seems interesting to me. Because he was a pretty important force for the show.
1: Well, you but, know, they'd wrapped up.
0: They mm-hmm. wrapped up,
1: and and theoretically, moving on at that point makes sense. I don't even know if Future was originally like it. It very much seems like the movie and Future were both simply a product of their success and people wanting more. I don't know if it. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like it wasn't planned. Initially. Yeah,
0: I think it's interesting because you know when when Diamond Days happened, everyone said. This is oh, it's actually only eighty-two minutes long. That's interesting. But everyone said, okay, so this is the end of what she originally pitched to Cartoon Network, uh, and we don't know if there is going to be more. But she, like a lot of modern creators, said, no, this is what I pitched. I pitched a cohesive story, and it's over now, you know. And then we were we we were graced by you know the lovely limited series. Uh, Steven Universe future, which, you know, gave us a little future stuff. But it seems that it seems that Ian Jones Cordy moved on after the wrap of the original series. I'm not seeing his name associated with either the movie or Steven Universe future. But um, all of the voice cast seems to have remained. And a lot of the writing staff, and pretty much all of the production staff, seems to have carried over.
1: I, I think, and I and I, I want to say this that future took a couple years. Sorry, this movie take took a couple years after the wrap to occur, if I'm not mistaken. Or was it pretty-
0: being pretty quick because Steven Universe itself only wrapped. So this was released in September of 2019. The movie was and the and Diamond Days wrapped in January of 2019. So it was actually pretty quick.
1: OK, maybe it was just because my brain had turned off. And I... It's entirely possible. (laughs) Well, once the show had finished, I said, oh, it's done and and nothing will happen. And then I hear randomly one day that there's going to be a movie and it was a complete surprise to me. Yeah,
0: to me as well. Someone was like, well, have you seen Steven Universe Future? And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) That's a thing? No, I haven't seen it, you know. Uh, But I will say that I think there were some really nice little creative flourishes with this movie. I really love... The opening credits, the way that it references classic Disney, you know, how you see that, you know, there are these like, you know, nice fuzzy screens with the names of all of the voice casts and everything. You know, it says featuring the voice talents of and there's this really soft sort of ethereal song and then they open a storybook and they page through it. It was a very nice, you know, um, homage. To classic Disney,
1: yeah, like an animated version of the opening from Shrek.
0: Yeah, which like that's also what like you know I think about that too. I'm like a lot of people will associate with this with Shrek, but the thing is, Shrek was also referencing classic Disney when they did that.
1: Right, and for those of you who were born circa 2000 and don't know what Shrek is,
0: oh God, surely they know what Shrek is.
1: You say that, but
0: Shrek is a classic.
1: <laughs> we're getting to in this
0: the... house. We love Shrek.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and then there's the infamous "Shrek is love, Shrek is life" meme. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm getting to the point now where if I walked into my classroom with these 18 year olds and I said, "Do you know what Shrek is?" There's a very real chance that like a significant portion of them will not.
0: And you're doing God's work, dealing with the Zoomers every day.
1: <laughs> um, I, ask them.
0: Okay, can you ask them for me why they all dress like Whoopi Goldberg? <laughs> <laughs> like, explain to me. Like, and, like, so like, walk into your classroom and say, okay, Billie Eilish, why does she dress like Whoopi Goldberg?
1: I'll be sure to float that at our next uh, old person questions of young people session. <laughs> no, right. Uh, Oh my goodness. So so we've got, um, this really nice introduction and actually we get a lot of information thrown at us very fast. And it's very, you know, it's interesting because we, we wrapped up the series and, and I'm not going to, uh, summarize too much here, but we talked about all of the pernicious issues that underlaid under Lou, uh, it's underlaid, right? I think so. Okay. Under- <laughs> I have a PhD and I don't know the which... Sh-
0: under- the pernicious underlying issues. <laughs> yes,
1: the uh, of the the ending and how Sugar chose to tell a story about family dysfunction with like, oh, just because these Imperials have a family member who wants them to dismantle their empire... Like, that's not how that works, and it's... You know, they will Go back and listen to the episode. Well, they... They start the story with Stephen leaving the Diamond homeworld after, apparently, for, like, four years, or...
0: I think it should have been... Because they say he's 16, so somewhere in the neighborhood of two years.
1: God, I, okay, I keep forgetting that he was 14 because he looked so, like... Yeah, so he like seemed really
0: big. young. Yeah, exactly.
1: So... It kind of seems like he spent the intervening time helping fix issues with the gem homeworld. And I mean, we get like yellow is like I've disbanded my armies. White is like we've dismantled the Empire and I'm over here going in two years.
0: Yeah, exactly. What are all those unemployed gems doing now? That's a whole other set of problems.
1: Yeah, like are you telling me that civil wars haven't broken out left and right? Because if you try to dismantle an empire, that will absolutely happen. You're so, gonna
0: end up with warlords, folks.
1: Yeah, so like, I I guess there's some hand waving in the sense that like the diamonds apparently have perfect control of their subjects. Um which is completely unrealistic it's like okay so all, sci-fi for a long time has made a big point of saying when you take imperialism or like empire building in general to space usually it doesn't make things better usually it just makes things worse mm-hmm. um because now not only do you have all the issues but like, planets are separated by tons of space and time. Um, so it's just like, this is a galactic empire, and they're just tearing it apart like it's nobody's business. Pfft, yeah, right. <laughs> but very disney dismantling the empire.
0: Yeah, but fine, let's address that in 30 seconds. Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm over here, and I'm just like... That's the show that I want to see is Steven. Like uh, that's the show that would pop up on Adult Swim. Like watching Steven Universe slowly go insane as he realizes the realities of destroying an empire.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) You know, and he's just like got PTSD and he's like shaking on a jungle planet and he's just like. He's like
0: graying hair. Yeah, there's too
1: much. There's too much, man. (laughs) Um.
0: It's like everyone, you know, ordinary, ordinary rubies and uh, jaspers are screaming at. Even about how the space Taliban has immediately reassumed control of various planets, you know, immediately following the withdrawal of the Diamond Authority.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm over here and I'm just like, if there are organics left anywhere, they're eventually going to evolve to the point where they come and they, like, fight against the gems because the yeah. gems destroyed their world. And I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm over here and I'm just like, God, that would... Be really hard to address, so they don't. Um, <laughs> they just sidestep that issue. They're just like, gonna punt
0: on that one.
1: <laughs> well, and it, you know, it's, I get why they've done that, and it, it, that really just hammers home that that's never what the show was about. And
0: exactly.
1: Not a space opera, definitely a family melodrama, mm-hmm. and uh, fine, fine. So we go back to Earth. And Steven's trying to get away from the gems because they've reached this kind of nice point where they all affirm who he is, but, you know, they still miss having a pink. Not necessarily pink herself, but like having somebody who's the baby of the family, right? And, and they want him to stay on Homeworld and he's 16 and he's a teenager. And so he's mirroring that kind of adolescent push away from
0: yeah it's like think about those like those empty nesters who aren't really enjoying being empty nesters you know and they're like oh no like come over like come let me like do your laundry for you you know like we love having you around we want to have you here and it's like okay hey you know i need i need my space guys
1: so steven goes back to earth to have his space that's great. There's a musical number. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, okay, I should... There's a musical number for freaking everything. So that's like...
0: Everyone summarizes their character development from the series. Yeah, okay, so let's...
1: All right, so the the basic plot of the movie is, is actually very simple. Uh, I'll give you a summary in a single sentence. Rose fucks up again. <laughs> that's... Pretty much. Like... That's it. And mm-hmm. Steven has to deal with it again. It's like, okay, this is a movie of greatest hits. That's really what it is. Like, it is, it, you cannot call it nostalgic because it occurred too fast after the show for nostalgia to really be a thing in its, in its audience. It's more like a greatest hits album of all the things that we learned and went through in the original TV show with a higher budget.
0: Yeah, basically the so basically, you know, he comes back down to earth and says we have happily ever after now. You know, I don't have to fight anybody anymore. Everything is great. I love things exactly the way that they are. And everybody summarizes their character development and we see that we have a city that's being called Little Homeworld, a neighborhood being called Little Homeworld that's being constructed in Beach City and lots of gems live there. And he's just like sort of like, ah, everything is perfect. Let me take a, nothing could possibly go wrong. There can't be anything else that my mom fucked up on. Let me take a nice, long, slow sip of this glass of water.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, it's a surefire, it's almost magic, a surefire way to say nothing could go wrong. Yep,
0: (laughs) exactly. And so... I would say that the one of the sort of most important emotional themes of the movie, and something that's very important to pick up on in the beginning, is Steven likes it exactly the way that it is, and he does not want it to change, Which, basically.
1: Okay, to be fair, I... It's not like Steven is living a life of indolence, and no. they. the movie kind of sends this message that like you shouldn't take satisfaction in hard work well done.
0: Yeah, that is a little bit weird. It's like, well, he's 16 years old. He's lived a very challenging life. I think he's allowed to just be happy. Come on, give him that.
1: Give him that. Yeah, and (laughs) and I guess he acts like a smidge entitled. But you know what? If you did everything and still managed to, like, not kill anyone... And Mm -hmm. save a bunch of people. Of course, you'd want to just sort of bask in the afterglow.
0: Exactly. That's fair. I don't think he was wrong for that.
1: But they kind of... The movie's like, well... Okay, so... Those things you thought were done are not done. So a new gem shows up. Mm Mm-hmm. With a giant spaceship full of some ominous purple liquid. Mm Mm-hmm. And... (laughs) (laughs) ominous purple liquid is gonna be looks like a
0: giant baby bottle pop
1: (laughs) it's gonna be my band name (laughs) ominous purple liquid it's just like grunge metal played through like you know those old eggs you could buy at the store that have that putty in them silly putty yeah It's just, or the, that like goo, that like purple or green sticky goo that you could buy. The goo
0: like that, like made the fart noise?
1: Yes. It's just going to be grunge metal played through a speaker covered in that goo and (laughs) it'll be recorded through a microphone on the other side of the speaker.
0: Sounds very squishy. (laughs) Uh,
1: (laughs) I like, I like, uh the music sound would be described as (laughs)
0: Scourge! Oh, man. Okay. Anyway. She shows up with a giant inverted baby bottle pop full of ominous purple liquid. uh, And she sings a really baller song. And she she has stretchy powers. And then she has an uh, equally awesome, um, like grim, grim reaper length scythe made of light with which she poofs everybody and then also steven like it makes his body do something weird and then he hits her with that thing also yeah uh, I, mean, I would go ahead sorry okay so her name's spinel and i'd just like to say that when she first arrives she really strikes me as sort of like Oh, what was I thinking the other day? It was like something really specific. It was like a combination of Harley Quinn. Oh, a combination of Harley Quinn and a Madoka witch is what I thought.
1: Yeah, the Harley Quinn connection was immediately apparent for me, partially because her voice actress sounds... A lot like he does
0: it. the accent that Harley does well, in Batman the Animated Series, and it's
1: got that roughness to it. It's like it's mm-hmm. both sort of that high pitched, not high pitched, but like that, um, like really happy, mm-hmm. but also that like New York brush, like yeah. harshness to it for um, sure. You know, if you got the Mr. J. I'm going to kill you Batman sort of like dichotomy going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which speaking, sure. of, speaking of Harley Quinn, all the stuff that she's been in lately has been great. Um, <laughs> sorry. Anyway.
0: Um, But like so, okay. So she does. It turns out that uh, what she hit them all with is like a gem weapon called like a disruptor or something, and it essentially reboots you. It's a rejuvenator. Ah, a rejuvenator. Okay, yes, yes. And it so it reboots you. So everyone returns to factory settings, which leads to
1: shenanigans. And that's sort of the greatest hits part. So they well. They go through the character... Like, every character summarizes their journey at the beginning. And now they actually have to relive a version of it to get their memories back. Because basically, this giant ship is starting to destroy the planet. And the only person who knew how to fix it was Spinel, the the new gem. And Steven doesn't have any help. So he's trying to get the crystal gems back. And he struggles through how to do that. And the answer is basically make them go through their character development again. Um, so he does that and they sing songs about it. And, and, you know, it's very touching to watch Steven have to try to get Garnet back together or Amethyst to, um, do her thing. Or the, my favorite though is Pearl. Cause Pearl. Yeah. Pearl's factory settings are the most coherent because she's just like a Pearl. So she's a made to
0: order servant, you know,
1: she she wakes up and Greg is the first person that she sees. And his name is um, Greg's um, Greg universe. (laughs) And she calls him um, Greg every time and treats him like she says my um,
0: Greg universe every time.
1: Uh, so, yeah, and Steven's powers are gone, because his development of his gem Mm -hmm. powers was also reverted.
0: Yeah, uh, the Pearl one is really great, like, getting Pearl back to herself is great, because they discover that the deal, like, what really allowed Pearl to develop as a person was being freed from having a master. So, in order to get Greg to quote-unquote disappear, Steven and Greg fuse which is really fun. Um, And apparently that fusion has the power of flight uh, and uh, the power to imbue everyone else with flight, Um, apparently. But it's very hot. Like, he's super ripped and has really cool hair. It's like he looks like a Jojo. He looks like a combination of Jotaro with Josuke's hair.
1: So he... It's... Okay, so it's weird because, like... Fusion has romantic undertones in most of the it's, show. Yes, it feels so, weird, yeah. So you're, you're just sitting here and you're just like, all right, so you want us to accept the only the material conditions of fusion. You don't want us to accept any of the intimate undertones of fusion, right? Because you're essentially saying that the 16-year-old boy is doing something with his dad and it's very weird
0: yeah I, but i guess i feel like when we discussed fusion the last time sort of the conclusion that we came to because we said like it's both sex and not sex so really what it is is it's just the the highest expression of intimacy possible for a relationship and i suppose it's like okay it's a boy and his father and they have a particularly healthy and intimate relationship for a boy and his father so even though because the way that it is involved in so many romantic relationships throughout the show, it does make me feel a little weird. I'm I'm willing to give it to them, you know, and not be like this is incest.
1: <laughs> they played it off very well too, because their their dance wasn't a dance; it was a duet, like a guitar, a duet. guitar duet. So they yeah. made it. It's kind of like they turned off all of the sensuality and turned it mm-hmm. into like. This father son dude bro moment,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, definitely but yeah the it's interesting because it's the first time that we've ever seen a fusion that is not is neither feminine nor non-binary. Uh, it's very male it's very male yeah, he has like a like a sixteen peck
1: <laughs> you know it's he's shredded
0: shredded dude, giant muscles. I love his giant, um, like pompadour, but also a braid, you know, very cool.
1: (laughs) He does, he does, okay, when he's doing, he, he, he's playing a a double guitar, and he's got four arms. Um, Yeah. He does do some, uh, hip thrusts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so we, we can all acknowledge that it is, is good, but also weird. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, and so Pearl gets rescued by realizing she could be her own gem and and the kind of it's like they're not playing exactly the same struggles that the gems went through to become who they are, but they're hitting on the themes. Right? Yes. So Pearl needed to be freed not from sl- just being a servant. But she needed to have to decolonize
0: her mind.
1: (laughs) I really like that. I was going to (laughs) say she needed to have to only rely on herself.
0: Yes. Yes. Yeah. The song during that period is uh, like probably one of my favorite songs from the movie. It's uh, independent together. It's let's be independent together. I'm like, yeah, solid. There we go. And Opal makes an appearance and actually speaks and sings, and Opal almost never appears, and she's normally silent when she does, so that was
1: a treat. And so Amethyst is about having somebody to rely on, a.k.a. Steven. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Pearl is about being independent, and Garnet makes an appearance. So they, they get Ruby and Sapphire to you know, make googly eyes at each other and fuse. But the fusion also doesn't remember her, like, herself. So they, they have to find another thing to get Garnet to remember who she is. And I think the final straw is...
0: Steven says, I won't admit to that because it's not the truth. And then that's when Garnet's like, it's the... That's it, it's the truth, and then sings a song about the true cotton of love. And I'm like, you guys really phoned this one in.
1: Yeah, they could have done a better A job. better job.
0: I thought they did kind of a shit job with Garnet, honestly. It's almost they were like, oh shit, we've got to the we got to the climax and we forgot to get Garnet back to herself. What do we do here?
1: Yeah, and they it's I really kinda wish that they would have done a callback to um stronger together or something when, I I don't know. There's so much character development that Ruby and Sapphire individually went through too. Like they, I don't know. They could have done something more profound than it's like-
0: The abstract concept of the truth. <laughs> like, I was like, what? I never associated Garnet with the abstract concept of the truth. Like, what the hell?
1: Now, really the kicker though is that um once the gems start to get back together, we really start to focus on Spinel. And Cause cause Pearl communicates to Steven that like spinel was pink's. That she was just a playmate. And Spinel starts to remember some stuff, and so Spinel takes Steven to the garden.
0: It's a floating garden in the middle of space that can only be reached by warp, so we love to just, we have a whole homeworld and a palace where it can have things, but I guess we just need a floating garden in the middle of space that's completely isolated. That makes sense.
1: And Spinel tells a very, very, okay, it's very pink hmm And very sad.
0: Profoundly sad.
1: And I mean, so spinels are playmates. They like they a spinel is kind of like a labradoodle for rich people <laughs> that you would give to a diamond. Like she's the she's the labradoodle.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like it's like a fun pearl. It's it's a made-to-order playmate. That exist purely to be your best friend and entertain you.
1: Which I feel is even less dehu- or even more dehumanizing than what a pearl is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because a pearl is at least allowed to like... Pearls are supposed to be sort of calm and ethereal. So they're allowed at least to like internally... They're allowed to be neutral. You know, they don't have to be be like happy all the time
1: well and, right? even, and even the diamonds other pearls had they had personalities they had and they personalities had, yeah they, they were allowed some degree of personality autonomy whereas like a spinel was very clearly sort of like made to do one thing
0: she's a jester kind of you
1: know so not only do they exist as a slave but they are also like to be made fun of or to use to play and then discuss like they're essentially like a living conscious toy. Mm. And that's exactly how Pink treats her. Which which yes. Okay, so basically, Pink used to have fun with Spinel, but when she wanted her own she she went through that phase where she wanted autonomy and she eventually gets a colony and she leaves the garden and she tells Spinel that they're going to play a game and Spinel's just supposed to stand still and pink just fucking leaves and never comes and back. Never comes back. And just like that really sad scene from Futurama where Fry's dog sits outside of the pizza parlor. Mm-hmm. Um and dies because Fry mm-hmm. never comes back. Right? Mm-hmm. So to, you know, does Spinell. She just sits there yeah. and she waits until finally Steven she sees a message from Stephen saying that he's going home at the beginning of the movie. So basically she finds out a ton of shit at once. Pink's gone. Steven's here. Nobody came for me. Pink left me. And she kind of You know, she's, she snaps Mm. and she attacks earth. She, she attacks Steven. Let's like, that's really the goal is she attacks Steven, his friend. She, she attacks everything associated with pink that she possibly can. And Steven, it's so funny. There's such a great line. And, and she's like, yep. Sounds like mom. Yeah, he's like, well, he says,
0: I can't believe Pink did that to you. Actually, I can totally believe that she did that to you. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think what's interesting is that this is where it kind of comes in. I said, you know, she's like a combination of Harley Quinn and a Madoka witch. You know, it's just like a, tremendous amounts of like pain and suffering, like turn her into a monster, essentially. And I think that a lot of like the the you know, Steven Universe is famous for its emotional content and its examinations of trauma. And it's kind of the whole thing with Spinel is that sometimes being abused and neglected can turn you into a very nasty person, you know?
1: Yeah, and I do I, I do really like like Steven's initial response naturally is to try to empathize and help
0: Mm -hmm.
1: of course because of course it is because if he had known that if he had known that Spinel was there he would have tried to help her he would have gone there and Pink through her just profound lack of treating people with a semblance that they're a full person just fucked up so hard just like it it, if this is a greatest hits this is a reminder about how she kind of acted towards Greg how she acted towards Pearl um, how she acted towards getting a colony it's just a consistent reminder of all of the mistakes that, that Pink made in the past and Steven having to deal with her shit
0: yeah I think you know what what did I say, and we we discussed in depth about Rose is that she treats people like playthings, and there's an extent to which you feel like she never fully grew out of that. So now we have a person who was literally a plaything, even more disposable to her than anybody else was and we saw what she did and how she treated her as entirely disposable you know it's it, because there was a period of time between which you know the war ended there were there were hundreds of years between when she left spino there and when the war ended and she no longer could access the galaxy warp that she could have gone and got her, and taken her back to Homeworld to be someone else's Spinel. Taken her down to Earth to to join her rebellion and and show her that she could be her own gem like anybody else. There was there was time for her to do that, and she did not do that. You know.
1: No, I do want to. There are some cases of how Pink looks at Spinel, and I and I do. I, this is, of course, never going to be an excuse, but I do think Pig was sort of dealing with her own psychological issues, and one of those was being seen as a child. And so I don't necessarily think that she ever disregarded Spinel as like something she didn't like. I think Spinel, towards the end, began to remind her of her own infantilization mm-hmm. in the eyes of the other Diamonds and sure. through that internal struggle like she externalized that and sort of began to look at Spinel in a way that wasn't Spinel's fault at all but mm-hmm. she did so because you know she she essentially didn't want to be reminded of a situation that she herself was very frustrated by
0: yeah definitely but <clears throat> the musical number in which Nell's backstory is illuminated is completely heartbreaking just shattering <laughs> uh, she literally like and as part of the animation it shows that when she saw a message from Stephen she would become a part of the environment like she was covered in in vines she had to like work to pull her feet up out of the earth because like the grass and the dirt had had Cemented her feet into the ground because she stood there perfectly still, waiting for Pink to come back for 6,000 years.
1: And she counted the seconds <gasps> as well. Like, so we know that she was keenly aware of every moment. And yeah. I think it, it, you know, it just forever cements the fact that Pink's life will never be seen as a good thing. Like, her, yeah. her choices will never, like, we may understand why she did it and she may have ultimately done some decent things. But, you know, her mistakes are living mistakes. There are still victims of her inconsiderate nature. And that I think that's something that Steven also forgot that he has to come to terms with again. that's it's just like, well, I'm never really going to stop having to clean up somebody's mess, which is a shitty thing for a 16 year old to have to come to terms with.
0: Yeah, but it's like sort of because of the immortal nature of gems. You're never really going to get to a time where like victims of your mom don't exist anymore, you know? I will say sort of the, to me, the most heavy-duty emotional content in the movie is when Spinel sort of finally breaks down and, you know, reaches her apotheosis or whatever, uh, is she says, I wasn't good enough for Pink and now I'm just not good at all. So that's definitely something that some, like, abuse survivors like describe as sort of a feeling of like having been spoiled in some way you know having been ruined in some way and for some people a reaction to trauma is to become there's a reason they call it the cycle of abuse you know is to yourself lash out and become a, a hateful and bitter person who hurts other people because they hope that maybe hurting other people will make them feel better so I thought that that was, you know, this the movie's a little more spare on a lot of this content than the series generally is known for. But I thought that was like pretty, pretty heavy duty. And, you know, it was like, ah, that's that's a challenging theme.
1: Yeah, I think that sort of. Um, God, OK, I'm watching a ton of Law and Order SVU <laughs> right now. I have been sure. for weeks.
0: Yeah. And. <laughs>
1: that's a theme that pops up a lot is the idea that a person gets ruined which is just the saddest thing for somebody who's been traumatized to say about themselves um and and that I guess what I mean to communicate is that's like usually something that people are talking about in the context of like adult emotional events and this is like in a child's movie and that it it's I think it was not risky but they sure had a lot of balls. Yeah, definitely. To, uh, to do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
1: But, uh. so well, okay, so I think additionally, one thing that I really liked that was also equally tragic was that Steven manages to convince Spinell to come back with them and that she'll be accepted. And then due to a misunderstanding... Like Mm -hmm. Steven didn't do anything wrong. It's just because of the nature of the communication that was occurring. Like there was a misunderstanding and Spinell immediately snaps back to being uh, aggressive. And there's a tendency to think that Spinell overreacted, but you remember that she's she's very raw and traumatized about this exact thing related to abandonment. And that, oftentimes can happen with people who are survivors of something like that is that they they can they can experience this snap back in in what seems to be like perceived progress yeah like of, regression because of the simplest things again that aren't their fault and and you know it causes pain on everyone's account so yeah. it's
0: and I would say there's also a level of ambiguity because when when Spinel is rejuvenated, you know, she always wants to, and it it shows It shows also in the memory of Pink trying to be like, I have to go somewhere else now, and I want you to not come with me, you know, that the struggle that that was in and of itself. But she just follows Steven very closely, and in even before her memories, if he tries to, like, leave her, not take her somewhere, she gets very upset. And so there's an ambiguity in whether or not that's sort of, like, Like a sense memory of the profound abandonment and neglect that she experienced, or whether she just sort of has a very codependent personality because of the way that she was made, you know?
1: Yeah, that brings. I was thinking about that, that she shows. Like, it's hard to say because it. It doesn't seem like she's this way before, but her personality is one that requires constant maintenance. Maintenance.
0: It's almost like here's your made-to-order playmate, someone with borderline personality disorder. I was
1: just about to say, like in a in an adult in a fully formed adult person, she shows signs of B- BPD. Yeah. And uh, naturally
0: before the abandonment, actually, I would I would argue it's subtle and it's ambiguous. But I would argue that those signs are there without like prior to the trauma.
1: But and the thing that's ambiguous is that there's no sign that she would react aggressively or or with that level of ambivalence prior to the trauma enacted on her by Pink.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree. So,
1: well, and, and, you know, that's always kept tough because a lot of times people with histories of personality disorders have, have experienced some kind of trauma or abuse. So, Yeah,
0: I mean, like, I know that there is like a small but like growing segment of psychologists who are arguing that some personality disorders, specifically BPD, are like less a personality disorder and more like a flavor of PTSD you know yeah, like a and, reaction to trauma
1: and that stuff is still very much research new. on that is still very new so we're mm-hmm. you know we're still figuring it out but it it's one of those things that it, you know and that's sad like okay another thing that that reminded me of is like the way that's been all accident and kind of made me feel bad like i remember being in elementary school or middle school or even up to high school where there were people who were very um excitable but like to a bunch of teenagers that were um I hate to use the like who were sort of like they you know they acted like everyone else right like people who were excitable and into you like that were kind of a seen as a nuisance or like very uncool and Mm -hmm. People would kind of like they wouldn't bully those people, but they would definitely push them away, and sometimes in very inconsiderate ways. And mm-hmm. I and it felt kind of like that, too. Like Spinella's just she. There's nothing wrong with her, but because of other people's hangups, mm-hmm. they they get socially ostracized or pushed aside, pushed aside, and that's tragic. And those people are being selfish. But I I mean I. I remember pushing certain people away because they were like that. And I feel very, and, you know, sometimes uh, I still think about that. Teenagers are stupid.
0: Um, I mean, like, we generally react very poorly to neurodivergence in our society. And your teenage years is sort of when you become more consciously aware of conformity and social dynamics and where performing that correctly becomes very important. And so there's a degree to which people who don't perform the social dynamics correctly sort of instinctively make you feel uncomfortable. And you also, like, you know, you don't have the sort of prefrontal cortex development to deal with that in a kind way really many adults don't deal with neurodivergence in a kind way you know um so it's like I don't know I don't really think it's necessary like if you're not actively cruel then you know don't beat yourself up about it too much but yeah that's it's very much a thing I myself was on the receiving end of it often <laughs> when I was a young person
1: yeah I it, it it's it, it's definitely not one of those things where I'm just like well. I, I traumatize someone. It's more like, I, you know, I should have been nice. I should have been more understanding than I probably was. You know, it's like that person wanted to come hang out and kind of, you know, people didn't really actively tell them that we were hanging out kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very stupid. You know, I mean, there are a lot of things that I regret as a teenager. Um, I like to think we that that's do. a sign of growth as opposed to <laughs> sort of like... Me being a terrible person. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. I think like I, I don't know. I it's just like generally in terms of like teen years. I don't people who like look back on their teen years with unvarnished fondness. I'm like, what kind of person were you? Because like you cannot pay me enough to be a teenager again for a single
1: day. No, like you're. Anxious, uh, horny, um, unsure of exactly what you like or who you are in a lot of yeah, like, really it's just profound like, ways.
0: Yeah, you know, if, if I had, uh, you know, those assignments that they give kids to do like parent interviews, like what was it like when you were blah, blah, blah. If like someone gave an assignment like that to like, a uh, you know, like an eighth grader. You know, who, like they were beginning the eighth grade and it was like, what did like, what do you remember it being like? When, like, what do you remember from when you were 14? I would just be like blinding emotional pain, just like the most profound, severe, sourceless emotional pain at every moment. Um. So, yeah, the, don't be a teenager if you can avoid it, you know? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I mean, and and I, there are definitely some things I miss about that time, but I don't miss being, I don't miss the holistic experience.
0: Yes, exactly. It's like, oh, uh, sometimes you're like, oh, it was nice to not like have responsibility. Like, you know, one of the things I hate the most about being an adult, despite the fact that I really enjoy cooking is like, oh, I have to decide what's for dinner every night from now on until when I die. You know, and it's like it was nice to not be responsible for that. But um, in terms of just generally the like, I I don't know, that's I would not trade that inconvenience, you you know, like if it meant I had to be a teenager again.
1: Pro tip, you can uh, deal with that endless choice making by simply uh, reaching into your pantry and eating a handful of almonds and not thinking about it.
0: I think that's a symptom of depression.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What? I don't know what I want to cook and I eat almonds instead. If that's depressed, I don't want to be not depressed.
0: R slash depression
1: meals. (laughs) Um, No, I do. I mean, like, no, obviously there are some times where I'm just like, what do I want to do with this turkey meat? I don't know. I'll just throw it in a pan and put salt on it.
0: Oh, my God, Chris, I'm going to start. OK, I'm going to start. I OK. I'm your mom now. I'm in charge of deciding what's for dinner for you. OK. I'm no, going to send you a meal
1: plan. <laughs> I, OK. I, 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 I don't really do that anymore. Part of this, like, I, I, I did that yesterday because we were supposed to get rid of all this meat and, and we had to get rid of it fast and I didn't want to make burgers because I'd have to get my hands dirty. So I just threw it in a pan. But no, no, no. Normally oh we've been getting like Hello Fresh, and, and yeah. we like have been actually making real meals. Um,
0: That's nice. Yeah, if anybody's interested in my meal plan, it's called the Mediterranean Hobbit. It comes with six meals a day and heavily features
1: legumes. Like. <laughs> Legumes, <laughs>
0: a lot of lentils in the Mediterranean Hobbit.
1: <laughs> um, and is that where like is that they call it the Mediterranean Hobbit because the instead of the diet making you grow lots of hair on your feet, it makes you grow like little olive branches on your feet?
0: Oh my god! No, I just called it that because I eat a Mediterranean diet, but I also have a weird metabolism, so I need to eat six meals a day.
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that. Yeah.
0: But the last one's dessert. I don't need a second dinner. It's dessert.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> dessert is great. Oh. Anyway, <laughs> um, before we get off here, so, uh, I mean, after Spinel s- sort of snaps back and begins really uh, aggressively pounding on Steven, Steven has this realization that he will never be done changing and growing. Um, that's the good part of it. The bad part of it, I think, is he sort of realizes that he's never going to have stop have, have stuff that there will never stop being work. Um, and that gives his powers back. And he convinces... Spinel blows up the machine. And apparently, although it dumped 100% of its contents, the planet isn't going to blow up. So I don't... Or die. So I don't really understand the mechanism behind the machine because they really they really screwed the pooch on that one Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and i guess the solution to the problem of the poison in the earth is that steven gives a kiss to every square foot of the earth's surface (laughs) that seems to be the solution (laughs) based on what they show
1: um yeah really really didn't do a great job on that one so not at all okay him kissing the earth is a really funny joke
0: it is a um, funny joke and they're like what can we do to help him and guard like we should keep him hydrated. So <laughs> it's they very do a, important when you're doing a lot of smooching.
1: Yeah, they do they do a good job of that. But um it's kind of the way that Steven comes to this realization is actually really kind of sad. I don't know. Like he's okay, if you want somebody who's socially conscious and active in the world, the realization that he comes to is good, but I feel like there's this profound trade-off that is being made in his head between being satisfied and being active in the world. And I don't know if I like that a lot. Like, it almost kind of seems like he's accepting that he will never really be happy because he's got work to do.
0: You know, as a, as a slightly older activist, I need to schedule a one-on-one with Steven to discuss the concept of burnout, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was like, dude, you are going to run yourself ragged. Mm-hmm. Can't you Can't keep burning the candle at both ends, dude. If you believe that you can't stop to, like, be happy with your current conditions you are are going to be useless in 10 years. You've already gone through so much. You're not giving yourself time to cope and heal from all that other stuff that you've dealt with. So I get the message. Like the message was people should accept that they're always going to be changing and growing. But I don't know if that's what his problem was in the freaking first place.
0: Yeah, At the beginning I really of the don't movie, agree. Yeah. Like yeah, th- it's 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 like wanting to say like saying to yourself we were in such a good groove and now it's all fucked up. I wish I could just like solve this problem and get us back in that good groove is not wrong. There's nothing unhealthy about that attitude, you know? The reason that the the whole idea of working to improve things is so that things can be good.
1: Yeah, it's like they almost equate stability with stagnance. Yeah. And I don't... That's not great. Like, people have Mm -hmm. to hope... Like, people want to hope for a future that is peaceful and pretty stable. And Mm -hmm. I just... I don't really feel like they... I do not feel like their messaging was clear. I do think that they had enough division between concepts and it all gets muddied in the end.
0: And I think that's I also think that's like a really big issue for like millennials that we have been sort of made to feel that we have to always be like striving. You know, we always have we have to be on our grind. We have to have a hustle, you know, or, you know, for someone like me. You have to be doing, you know, personal development and, and growth and stuff like that. And that's something that I talked about with my therapist a few years ago that we talked about a lot because I, like, finally felt okay and, like, was immediately, like, I feel like I'm stagnating. Like, I feel like I'm not, like, going anywhere. I'm, I'm not progressing in my career. I'm not progressing in my relationship. I'm not making the same strides of, of personal growth. And she's like, well, you know, in life, we we have climbs and we have plateaus. And it's okay to just, like, be on a plateau for a while and enjoy that because you worked hard to get there, you know? And I feel like maybe you're right. They, they muddied some concepts, and I think that baked in with a good concept is, like, a, a pretty fucked up attitude that a lot of millennials have like very ingrained in us, you know, and maybe it's not just millennials. Maybe it's just like Americans have ingrained in us, but I definitely feel like it's very present, you know, amongst my friends, right? Well,
1: as, I mean, as a psychologist, one of the things that like is well studied in development is that your teenage years and your young adult years are typically very active, but it's all sort of striving towards less less chaos and more stability into adulthood. I mean, mm-hmm. when people enter into like, think about traditionally where people would be when they're 30, they mm-hmm. would be ha- They would have a steady way to live. They would mm-hmm. have uh, social, a social, a fairly stable social network, probably children. Like if we're talking mm-hmm. about like traditionally and mm-hmm. like our bodies adapt to that purpose and mm-hmm. people slow down like our bodies stop adding mass our brains calm the fuck down and mm-hmm. we you know enter we lock in to this like 30 year period where change is generally less desirable mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. granted I don't I'm not advocating for that sort of because I do think that wanting to stay the same for 30 years can can lead to some pretty stagnant lives But, you know, the idea that just take a rest for a few years, just kind of like do the job you want for a few years. Live in the same place. You don't have to constantly be trying new things. You should stay mentally active and engaged. But don't you don't have to fucking be on 24-7 like you were when you were 21. Who the fuck would do that?
0: I would be so fucking tired. Like even at just 28, if I was like living in the way that I did when I was 21 years old, I would be exhausted. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, well, and that was just, you know, that was just seven years ago.
1: And our identities undergo less, like, they do sometimes experience explosive periods of growth or change, but your identities are are going to stabilize a little bit. And I don't know, like, that's okay. And, and some, like, depending on who, you, like, what the older view you ascribe to, that's the ideal. Like that is a healthy existence for a human adult.
0: Yeah. It's like, you don't want to like, okay, so when are you stagnant? Like if you feel, if you feel dissatisfied, if you feel like you have not been seeking or experiencing novelty for very long periods of time, you know, if you feel like you're no longer gaining enjoyment from from your life as it is. Okay, yeah, maybe you've stagnated a little bit and maybe you need to shake it up. But generally like like it's it's good to be stable, to like feel confident in your identity, to have a, you know, a stable social network, a stable work and and family life. Like that's that's good. You don't like it would be bad to just have your your life be as like rapidly changing and your identity be as malleable as it is when you're 20 years old for forever can you imagine
1: well and you know it's interesting because steven uh, steven is sort of exemplifies in this case something i think that that what you described sort of feel like that feeling like you feel that you are in a rut Mm -hmm. that is a good indicator that you are stagnating to yourself, right? You're perceptive of your own needs and your emotions and you, you are generating that feeling for yourself essentially. And yes, it's not sort of, um, it's a bottom up thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas Mm -hmm. I feel like in Steven's case, he's undergoing this kind of top down pressure um, and it's sort of weird meta-wise because he's experiencing it from the writer's perspective. So mm-hmm. he's not coming to this realization of change is good or I was stagnating because of his own genuine self-generated feeling. He's doing it because he's getting messages from other things external to him that he's stagnating instead. Um, mm mm-hmm. So it's not gen like it's not genuine. Uh, Carl Rogers would say, like he's not a spot, like he's not growing for himself. He's experiencing this conditional regard externally, and that's how he should behave. Like oh, I should I'm stagnant. I should keep changing, and I think a lot of people do that. I think yeah that there are people who have this idea in their head that. They always need to be changing and their idea of that is sort of chaotic. And, and whenever they get a little bit of stability, they psych themselves out. They don't seek that novelty or, or change because they legitimately feel like in their heart to, you know, metaphorically yeah. speaking. They, they're doing it because they have this idea in their head that they mm-hmm. probably got from other people or they convinced mm-hmm. themselves of instead. So it's all top down. And Yeah,
0: exactly. Because it's like, okay, the, the message that like change is inevitable. You shouldn't cling so hard to the way things are that you make poor decisions it is good. That's fine. But it's like Stephen had just announced he'd finished up with his work days before he was taking, you know, and we looked around. We saw everybody everybody's got new hobbies going on. They're doing new things. You know, uh, they have new social networks that they're building. It looks like, you know, Steven is starting to progress in his relationship with Connie in a new direction. And he's like just had no no moment to just find how he slots back into that new reality and what new area like how he can, you know, move around in in that area. There was nothing wrong with it. There was nothing wrong with it at all. He even he hadn't even had time to stagnate. He just wanted a second to catch his breath and that's okay, you know?
1: So, I I don't feel the need to hit that point anymore, but I do feel quite yeah. strongly about that because I think that's a very mm-hmm. For a generation that is the younger slot, essentially into Zoomer territory, um, I do think there's a real danger in this idea that we have about progress and change. Um, yes, I see, and I and I think I see it. Like the stats on anxiety in, in younger people is uh, very concerning, and of course yes. you would expect with You know, late stage capitalism and and environmental Mm -hmm. collapse that some anxiety is going to happen, of course. But I think the best way for us to get past these things is going to be consistent, healthy work by as many people as we can get. And this idea that you always have to be working and basically sacrifice any sort of personal stability for that is gonna do more harm than good.
0: Yeah, I I I agree completely. So I would say those are the two major emotional themes is the the you know, like the con- the consequences of sort of abandonment slash abuse on people and this concept of, of change and and how one handles change. Um and that's kind of pretty much it. I, I will say I felt a little bit bad about how they dealt with Spinell because basically she said, well, you say that I can just live here and it all be fine. But I did horrible things to you guys. Do you want me to be around forever? Const- like, how are we just going to move on and forget about this if I'm always here? And then they solved that problem with like, oh, look, the diamonds have arrived. The diamonds who are like desperate for a baby, <laughs> you know, essentially and a reminder of pink a stand in for her and th- let's just give spinel to them to be that for them and then that way she can you know have have affection in her life but we don't have to think about her anymore i'm like damn that's kind of that's kind of dark actually if you think about it for very long
1: well And I don't know, it's very, you know, they went for a Disney aesthetic and that's very on brand for a Disney happy ending. Something that on the surface looks really good and makes you feel warm. But when you explore the implications of it, it makes you feel gross.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because it's like, okay, yeah, I'm like intentionally reading it. You know, at, you know, I'm giving it a negative reading intentionally, but that's like the whole point of this show. So, you know, it's just like, OK, cool. Like. Well, uh, I don't know, it's just
1: to balance it out, they found her a niche that would meet her needs the best.
0: That's true. That's so true.
1: There's a good way to read it. And and mm-hmm. that good way is that it was a mutually beneficial arrangement that didn't preclude her ever coming back it just it satisfies her needs and the needs of steven's three moms
0: (laughs) at at this time yeah definitely so yeah that's the good reading of it but yeah and that's just kind of that's it it wraps you know we're done now you yeah. know, that's the movie.
1: <laughs> that's the... Well, and, and so everything aesthetically about the movie is amazing. The songs oh, yeah. are all really good. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The voice acting's great. Everybody gets their special little moment. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I just... I just now now on retrospect I can't escape the feeling like it was a little slapped together.
0: A little bit. There are there are several different aspects of the plot that I think like you you know I said like they felt you know at the very beginning in terms of like well what are the implications of all this? They punted on that one. You know, in terms of Garnet remembering herself they really phoned that in (laughs) you know like there are there are quite a few elements of the plot that i think are pretty slapdash and i think are not as well thought out as we're used to steven universe being and i think that maybe the departure of you know some of the uh You know, like of Ian Jones Cordy, you know, some of the creative like direction that had been involved the whole time um, affected that, you know, um, maybe uh, Rebecca Sugar didn't have as much of an editor. Maybe it was demanded that they produce this too quickly. Yeah, Maybe they spent too much money on the songs. I don't know.
1: I'm really, I'm really, I don't know. There's too much consistent evidence of the way that Hollywood works to it it does kind of feel the quick turnaround may have hamstrung them.
0: Yeah, because it's like I, I really wonder because clearly like Diamond Days would have been a massive project. And to have this come out, you know, nine months after, not even nine months after they wrapped up the airing of Diamond Days, I just am wondering. Well, how long could they have been working on this? It seems like they really couldn't have been working on it for more than a year at most, right? Yeah. And if the, if they were working on it at the same time that they were working on Diamond Days.
1: Yeah, I mean, they clearly had the money for good animation, but I, mm-hmm. I like, still, like you, you have to wonder. Like, they didn't have enough time to storyboard, plan, to to go through things exactly like like they used to and the only reason I can think that that would have happened is because Cartoon Network put pressure on them
0: yeah yeah I would say that seems like there are a couple of different factors that I would say but I would say because the product is very polished the songs are all great it looks beautiful where it falls down you know and still, you know, it's better than 90 per 95 percent of children's made for TV movies. Yeah. It's you like know, saying, um,
1: it's like saying that this cheesecake, this deluxe gold plated cheesecakes, graham cracker crust had too much salt in it.
0: Yeah. But just a little too much salt. You know, um, it, it, it just fell down a little bit on the tightness of the storytelling compared to what we're used to seeing. And it just seems like maybe it wasn't part of Rebecca Sugar's original plan and they didn't have enough time to do the writing and make sure that it was really tight and that it all, you know, made sense and that it was all given its due. And also it only has an 83 minute runtime because it's a children made for TV movie, you know, like they I don't know, maybe if they'd made the beginning medley a little shorter, they would have had more time to do plot stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, they, they tried really hard to make sure everybody knew exactly what had happened in the past.
0: Like, we've all seen it, guys. We don't need... It was literally nine months ago. We don't need this. This is
1: unnecessary. Yeah, who the fuck is not going to watch the show before watching that movie?
0: Who is this? That's the thing that I was thinking for the whole opening opening number. It's like, who is this exposition for?
1: For the executives. <laughs> <laughs> But over,
0: they're like, hey, who, who are these ladies? I don't know who these ladies are.
1: <laughs> oh my God. You, you have to give them that accent, too. It's the only way. It's the only option. Oh, man. 8.5 8. out of 10.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair.
1: And that would probably get me crucified in some circles. But it just, you know what? This, this is going to sound like blaming the rating victim here. They set themselves up for that critique. But by making such a good show and then Mm -hmm. having those issues be in the movie, like they're a victim of their own success.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think I've only watched it once and it's been a while, so we'll have to see on a second watch. But I don't remember Steven Universe having that issue. uh, Sorry, uh, uh, Future having that issue. And I, I think they had a little bit more time to work on that. You know,
1: I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Yeah.
0: I'm excited for that, too. Yeah, I, you know, I think that brings us to a good transition point. I think I really said all that I have to say. Me, too. um, About the movie. So um, I won't plug our Patreon because this is going to be released originally on the Patreon for our subscribers. Thank you. But as usual, you know, you know where to find us on social media at Animaties on Twitter, Animaties Podcast. On Facebook, animates at gmail.com, the number eight in there instead of the letters AT. And we hope that you enjoy this early release to our, our patrons. And just as quickly as we can make it happen, we will get you that episode on Steven Universe Future. And then we will be wrapping up the season on the animation renaissance and opening up the animation renaissance.
1: Yeah, it's, it's it's weird it's weird it's weird, to, it's weird to say that we're finishing it because technically it just means that we're entering into the next phase which is mm-hmm. sort of TBD but mostly focusing on high quality products.
0: Yeah, it's sort of like it's more like stuff that people have told us deserves to be in this category but that we have not watched before. Yeah. Is mostly what we're gonna be doing,
1: and uh, we'll we'll see because we still have to go back to older properties. Like, and I know Paige is gonna, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants. Absolutely not. Yes, we we have to. You you are not escaping it. You can't. You can't.
0: Hmm. All right, we'll have to have the discussion off air. <laughs> <laughs> all right Um, goodbye everyone yeah you know thanks for thanks for giving us uh giving us a little grace with this time period but until next time i've been paige
1: and i've been chris
0: and this has been animates